feel free to, to ask um, things that have um, emerged from today's theme or from the periods of, of meditation. The um, microphone is here if that can be passed around. Yeah, there's a question at the back there. Now it's on. It Thank is. You. Um, when you were speaking before, the, the 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 description of all this that really stuck in my mind was radical acceptance of the word radical, and I think it really is radical <laughs> to be accepting of um, illness, old age, and all of those things. And I can wrap my mind around that as an approach except when it comes to physical pain <laughs> and so if you could address that radical acceptance in relationship to physical pain I would appreciate it good question yeah. um, well pain is deliberately uh, off-putting it's pain is a uh, <coughs> It's nature's most basic form of protection for the, for the physical body. That which is painful, uh, we uh, aim to get away from. Um, the, the most, uh, again, again, going back to my physiology studies, <laughs> the most basic kind of nerve ending is a pain nerve ending. It's just like a frayed uh, end of the nerve axon. It's the most basic and simple form of, of sensory nerve. Um, and so it's, it's important to recognize that pain is it's nature's way of, of helping, us to, helping the body to be protected so that you know, if you, ow, you don't do that again because <laughs> like, uh, you, you knock your, your finger against the, the sharp metal edge and it's, it's painful. So you know, okay, keep doing that and damage is going to happen. So there's a, a deep instinctual uh, aversion to pain so that then... Um, uh, keeping the attention on it or, um, or being open to it is, is challenging. Just like with emotional pain, like fear or, or grief or uh, whatever, they, they work in a similar way. So the, um, one of the, the ways of, uh, uh, that's most helpful to, to deal with it, say in the sitting meditation, if you have a, uh, and you notice that there's a pain in your body, say that there's an ache in your hip, uh, in your hip joint. But usually when we first notice that, the body is already tensed up against it. So when you, um, when you feel physical pain, then to bring your attention, uh, say maybe you're trying to focus on your breath and say, well, and you're thinking of the pain as an annoying thing that's getting in the way. Well, I'm trying to focus on this other thing. <laughs> well, uh, if the pain is, is getting... Um, very, uh, very strong or, or impactful, then the best thing to do is to take your attention away from the supposed meditation object and put it right onto that feeling of pain itself and to start to explore it. And usually what we find as soon as we look at it directly is that we're tensing up against it. 
there's a resistance, a negativity, fearing it, resenting it, um, uh, contending with it. So that manifests both in the attitude that we have, like I wish this wasn't here, when's this going to go away, what's this going to turn into? Um, uh, so it's, there's an attitudinal side and also a physiological side. The body actually tenses up muscles against that. So when you, when you bring your attention to that feeling, just to, first of all, just opening the, the mind to recognize, okay, what's here? What, what's, uh, what's the actual pain on its own? And what's what uh, my attitude is adding to it? So then to, um, uh, to begin to work with that, just on the attitude side, saying, well, this is just a feeling of pain. Um, the, the meditation's uh, been going on for a while yet. Um, maybe I can tolerate this at least for another couple of minutes before I move. Um, there's no need to get upset. Relax. Or things like that, that you can just introduce those ways of loosening up the attitude. Um, the, and then noticing what the body's doing. Is there a, a tensing up against it? You know, or for myself, I find almost invariably when I've been sort of half conscious of some kind of discomfort, when I turn to attend to it fully, almost invariably the body has, t- has tightened up against it as some, some way of resisting it or, or pushing against it. So then just to relax the, the, the muscles, say if there's a pain in your hip, to, to relax the muscles around that, in your thigh or in, in the pelvis, and just letting the, the, the hip soften. And then what you find is that actually, even though you're tensing up against it to sort of to resist it, that, that tension is increasing the level of pain. So when you turn towards that, that fe- the feeling of painfulness and, just, and using those kind of encouragements, to say, well, this is just a feeling of pain, and then relaxing the body, relaxing the attitude, then what might have been felt as a sort of level six pain <laughs> tends to drop to a, a, a lesser degree to say like a three or a four maybe. What about a level ten? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it'll drop to a level seven. <laughs> but then also, even though it's, at a, it's, it's still painful, that, that ache is still there, maybe you've got arthritis or a migraine or something, that that even though that is that it's still painful, the the that feeling of of it not belonging or it shouldn't be here, or or trying to get away from it, that can disappear completely. So this is what the the Buddha called the it's the teaching of the two arrows. It's called. So the first arrow is the pain itself that you've got. A, there is a migraine or there is an an, an ache in your in your your hip. Um, that's the first arrow. Nobody can dodge the first arrow, and people might contend with that issue. <laughs> but I would say, to some degree, that because we have a body, because it has nerve endings, um, it, and it's a physiological, it's a natural, organic form, that it there is going to be painful feelings, just the very nature of it, and the way that physiological systems adapt to an average level all the time. That's the way they work. So there's always going to be the first arrow, to some degree or another. We can't dodge that. But the second arrow, we can dodge. And that the second arrow is the, uh, I don't like this, it shouldn't be this way, resenting, fearing, denying. Um, and so that uh, that second arrow is, is the one that, uh, that we can learn to evade. 
and that when we do that, then even though that there's a painful feeling in the body, also it can be emotional pain too. We can be experiencing uh, an intense grief or uh, or a physical pain or whatever. But we can we find that we can be totally at peace with that, because that quality of radical acceptance means there's a recognition of there is nothing fundamentally wrong with this. The universe is not out of order. And that's that, that feeling, it's that feeling of wrongness uh, is really the, 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 the second arrow. Now also when uh, in that um, part of, uh, of what we're uh, accepting is in a way our, can be our, our own resistance, our own lack of acceptance. Like, yeah, but I don't want it and I don't like it <laughs> and I don't want to accept this. Just, but we can also take a step back from that and listen to that resistance and ranting in the mind and saying, well, this is the, the ranting mind that doesn't want, to, <laughs> doesn't want to, to let go. And this is what the, the ranting mind feels like. It's like this, it sounds like this. So we can have a compassion and a kindness towards that own, uh, but I don't want it. <laughs> I don't like this, and, I, and it shouldn't be this way. And just to, to be able to say, to have compassion and listen to that voice and say, yeah, that's how it feels. And finding a, a spaciousness within that. So it's not like if I was a good Buddhist, I would always be happily accepting my arthritic agonies <laughs> or the loss of my child or whatever. It's, it's also that um, being able to compassionately listen and caringly listen to our own habits of reaction. Thank you. Yeah, in the front there. The one in the the woman in the white shirt? Yeah. Thank you. <coughs> Thank you. Is this on? If you can speak directly like an ice cream. Like this? Yeah. Is this on? <laughs> if you speak into it like I'm, like you're talking to an ice Okay. Um you you're addressing the physical part of aging. Like this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, <like laughs> I'm going to eat yeah. it. All right. Um, uh, you're addressing the physical parts of aging. I would like it if you would address some of the mental parts, like memory, forgetting, mm-hmm. uh, emotion, and uh, memory, uh, um, mental. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, uh, thank you for bringing that up. Uh, it was um, the. Uh, I was starting with the physical side because that's more tangible, <laughs> and, but uh, often it's more of the the mental side that causes more grief because we might be aware that yes, mobility diminishes and uh, and uh, people wear spectacles when they get past fifty and so on, uh, but we can make much more radical presumptions about. Uh, that I, I can expect to be able to think clearly, to remember things, to be able to re- recall people's names, yeah, our own family. <laughs> yeah, what's that? What's that cousin called? You know. Um, but in a way, it works in exactly the same pattern. That the degree to which we've made presumptions about our capacities and invested in those is is the degree to which we'll create a sense of loss and, and grief within us. So that when we are able to reflect on our, our own thinking abilities and um, our own memory or our, our own, say, e- even emotional stability, our own sense of identity and recognize, well, this is a, a, 
a compounded thing. This, this is something that's come together. It's not a given. It's, it's not something that's automatic. Um, and, that we, and also that conscious reflection, this isn't always going to be here. You know, one day this is going to go. Um, and that can be really challenging to, to, to bring to mind. Um, if maybe even more demanding than the idea of being in a wheelchair or being incontinent. The idea to, to not be able to remember who your friends are, not recognize your own family members. Um, the, the more that we have uh, learned to not take refuge in clear thinking, to not take refuge in our own capacities or in that sense of who we think we are in terms of our mental performance and, and those things, then the more as they go, uh, then we're able to be at ease with that. And in exactly the same way, we can find more of that sense of, well, I was grateful for when it was around, but now it's, uh, it's disappearing. There was a very wonderful old Christian monk um, called Father B. Griffiths. Some of you maybe met him. He, he was one of the uh, um, residents and founders of an ashram, so a Christian Hindu ashram in, in India called Shantivanam. And he, he, was, he was very, very English um, in some ways, but he, had this, he used to wear these sort of orange swami robes and had a long white beard, and he looked like a, you know, an Indian yogi as well. And in his later years, he used to uh, come and, and teach here in the Bay Area from time to time. He lived in India most of the time. And uh, one, of the, one time he was being interviewed um, uh, in, uh, in Berkeley, and the person said, asked him, well, what was his predominant experience of, of, his, uh, of the process of aging and, and how he was dealing with that? He said, well, dear boy, it was... It's, it's rather interesting, you know, because I used to be so erudite. <laughs> I had so much to say about everything. Had all, you know, wrote books and books about the scriptures and the gospels and the Upanishads, and, and now it's all gone. <laughs> it's all gone. Can't remember a thing. As long as, I can, as long as I can recall where I've left my sandals, I'm fine. <laughs> and he was being absolutely serious. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And it was, he was well in, he was like, I think about 86 or 88 when, when this interview was happening. So he was, he was quite aged. But he, he could really tell that he was being absolutely sincere, that he, had, he was a well-known and uh, accomplished scholar and uh, gifted theologian and writer and teacher. But it, it was all going. But because he hadn't invested only in his mental abilities, that his, the only thing that was important was because he was a you know, prize winner or a published author, that as those faculties departed, it, it was, that wasn't where he'd sort of stored up his treasure, as it says in the Gospels, you know, where moth and dust can corrupt. <laughs> I think it says <laughs> something like that. Um, but that's what it's talking about, is, is that... If we make more of an investment in the qualities of the heart and learn to take refuge in awareness and not in this clear thinking, then when those abilities start to erode and, and leave us, then we're not left completely adrift. So also, just in not, don't have, even have to wait till we're, we're getting Alzheimer's or, or getting older, but just even when, say, times of sickness or, or, or distress, you know, where... 
where our mind goes really crazy, or maybe we have some psychotic episodes. You know, the more that you've you've really developed the meditation and, and learned to say rest in awareness and, and be taking that as the refuge rather than the content, you can be completely aware of an utterly crazy mind. <laughs> you can be completely at peace with a mind like I, I've had this experience myself with. I was taking some some Tibet. I had a, some kind of ma uh, major infection. I was given this Tibetan doctor, who's, who's a very very skilled doctor. And, but this medicine that she gave me was was extremely strong. And uh, in, in the monasteries, we don't eat in the evening. We between midday and and the next morning, we we fast every day. And she she said, well, you know, you really ought to take this medicine with some food. And they can't really get around the. the the idea that the Theravadan monastics don't eat in the evening. So you really ought to have some food with this. And I thought, well, you know, <laughs> I'll skip that bit. So I was taking this medicine, and uh, I was living in this this cabin. It was in the winter winter time, and there was a, a a stream that flowed past the front of the the cabin. And uh, my mind was creating intense hallucinations, auditory hallucinations. And the, from the, the sound of the water in the stream. So one day it would be this incessant rock music. It's kind of heavy metal rock music. It's kind of blasting away in this kind of endless sort of riffing in one tune modulating into another. Yeah, really clearly. And then the next day it would be Wagner. Yeah. Then Beethoven. Yeah, then Pink Floyd. Yeah. It's like... The, the mind was just cre just taking the, the sound of the, the water and just making these and it would like, and it was very en the medicine was very energizing so I'd be sort of <laughs> kind of sitting there like the mind totally awake and alert and completely berserk but you know I didn't get upset about it because well I knew this is the effect of the, the medicine the medicine's probably doing its job but there are these these um, hallucinatory side effects. And, and so that if you are invested just in the content of your mind, and when, when you have those kind of episodes, either from illness or, or some kind of psychotic episode or whatever, uh, brought on by medicine or something that you've ingested on purpose, <laughs> you know, it might happen occasionally. This is Northern California, after all. <laughs> but you can, that there's the capacity to recognize this is, to, this is totally berserk. These thoughts are completely irrational. Uh, and or just being able to, to know that um, this is a thought. It's not who and what I am. It's just something that the mind is experiencing and perceiving. That's all. Then the more we've established that as a, as a basic mode and attitude, then as the mind starts to do that, then we're able to, to not get just entangled or distressed by the, the, the peculiar, weird, and, and disconnected content. It's not upsetting. And actually, my own teacher, Ajahn Chah, in the last 10 years of his life, he, uh, he had a, uh, some kind of a stroke um, in 1981, and uh, eventually was completely paralyzed and couldn't speak. For about, but for about the first eight or 10 months after the stroke, he really started to lose his faculties. And, and he couldn't control his, his body or his, his mind very much. And so he tried to say something and the wrong words would come out. And he could, he could tell, he was like, that was interesting. <laughs> that wasn't what I said. But the, uh, 
And eventually, the, his his uh, students had to say, you know, you better stop speaking to people because they're getting upset by the the strange things that you say. And so he said he 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 did, but because he couldn't control it anymore, like the the monkeys were playing with the wires in the mm. in the switchboard. <laughs> you know, he'd say one thing and something else would happen. But he wasn't distressed by it. It was just not under his control anymore. And there was no amount of will could be brought to play on it. So the more that we, we contemplate that and prepare for that as we're maturing, then the more when it goes, you can't necessarily stop it going, but you can stop it being a problem. What your people around you do with it is another thing. <laughs> but for you, your, you know, for you yourself, it, uh, I would say from, from direct experience, it doesn't have to be distressing. If you think you should be in control, uh, or you think it should all be predictable, then you, you create the causes of a lot of pain for yourself. Okay, one more, and then we'll, we'll move into the next piece of the day. Yeah, the woman with the red shirt. Yeah. Thank you. Um, about nine months ago, I was in an accident and um, became disabled and uh, lived with a level 10 pain for more days than not. Um, it affected my mind. I lost my marriage. I lost my job. <laughs> a lot of letting go there. Uh, one of the things that was most distressing to me was that one of the medications that worked best for me also altered my mind. And I went through um, guilt, grief, because I felt I couldn't, I couldn't be a good Buddhist while altering my mind that way. Um, had to let go of that one, too. Let, let go of being a good Buddhist? Or? Let go of feeling like I couldn't be oh, a good, good Buddhist. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. And I found that all the things you're saying are just so true, just so true that when I begin to let go, then what comes into me is the refuge that I really need to bring more into myself as those other refuges fall away from me. And I find myself with all of this letting go that most people would <laughs> be doing the big way bay, that I can still laugh. And I'm even sitting, I didn't know I could sit on the floor today, and I am. So <laughs> surprising things come, surprising things come from it if we just relax in there. There's great gifts that we don't even know of while we're so distracted by all these wonderful facilities we have. Yeah, and, and I think that was picking up from what uh, our friend said earlier today, that it's, it's sort of these things level the field. And that was also what I, um, one of the things I wanted to pick up on this afternoon is that actually that even though there are many limitations from this kind of sickness, like losing your, your mobility, your comfort, your marriage, your job, you'd never choose those. Like, oh, what would you like to do today? Oh, I'd like to you know, be in agonizing pain, lose my marriage, you know, lose my mobility. And no, no one would ever choose that. But it's extraordinary the number of times that and probably if I ask for a show of hands, that all of us will have the experience of something that happens in our life that we would never have chosen, 
but we learned things from it and brought and benefits came from it that, that we could never have got any other way. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that um, that sense of um, the blessings that come from limitations, rather than, than overt or, or subtle forms of resenting those limitations, when and it's often when they're non-negotiable, <laughs> then there's a there's a letting go that can really happen. But there are an extraordinary uh, it's an extraordinary chemistry that uh, when we are wise, then even things that we would never wish for and wisely would never wish for, but when they come, then when we open to them and and surrender to them, then they, they bring incredible blessings. So that that's really what I, I wanted to, to, to look at uh, later, on, later on today is actually the, the blessings that come from the natural processes of, of aging and the natural sense of, of sickness. And one of the things maybe I'll finish with this morning's thing is that I actually think it's an incredible gift of the Buddha that he got when he, that as, a, as a spiritual exemplar he got when he was eighty. He was he, he had a a bent back, he had chronic back pain, and and then he passed away. He didn't just dissolve into a rainbow and go up to heaven. Or <laughs> he got old. He got sick, and then the body died. To me, that's an incredible gift mm-hmm. because it doesn't it doesn't make the sort of the, the the sort of spiritual you know hero or exemplar as this something that's totally other but it's more like yeah it's not a matter of not ever having back pain <laughs> or um, you know, never experiencing headaches which he also had but it's uh, or never or the body just living forever it's in some sort of exalted state it's like no I mean different spiritual archetypes work in different ways but to me I find it's most incredibly helpful that it's <laughs> It's not freedom from that, freedom from those limitations, but freedom within them. That's the most profound and incredible freedom. So on that note, (laughs) we can move into our our next uh, piece of the day. So um, as our our, uh, community, we are, as monastics, we are arms mendicants. We have the freedom to rely on the generosity of the universe. And so that um, we will have the the, um, the lunchtime uh, now, and uh, myself and uh, Samanira Nyanamedi, who's uh, come along with me today, we'll be sitting down here with our bowls. And those of you who have um, brought some food that you'd like to offer and share with us, then we'll be happy to receive that. Those of you who have not brought anything, um, you, if feelings of guilt and shame <laughs> arise, then there's a painful emotions that you can welcome and let go of. I can guarantee there'll be more than enough for us to eat, so don't worry about that. Um, But I think before we have that, move into that, I think Sarah wanted to make a couple of announcements. Yeah, just a couple of things. Thanks. Um, So we've prepared a lot of the food servers, but thank you, always. Everyone brings such um, wonderful offerings, and and again, I think everyone will be fed today. we, you, you're, there's knives and um, more serving utensils and platters back there. If you haven't already set out the food that you've brought to share, you're welcome to do that. We do, of course, ask that you wait to go through the line until um, all the offerings have been made, and um, Ajahn Amar will do a blessing, and then we'll open up the line back there. I just want to also remind everyone you're welcome to eat here in the hall or outside. Um, 
if you do go outside, you know, usual look out for poison oak. If you go hiking, there's ticks up there. And there are uh, there's a retreat going on up the hill, so please don't go beyond the gate up there. Uh, if you're at all unclear on what that means, feel free to ask me or any of the volunteers wearing little badges today. We did have a question. Um, Ajahn Amro and, and his assistant came down in a rather small car today, and there's always um, an abundance of offerings for them to take back with them, and we're wondering if anyone's heading back to the Ukiah area today or shortly thereafter that they could... Oh, you've got it. Okay, great. Thank you. So we'll see you at the end of the day to, to load you up. Thank you. And thank you to the other folks who raised their hands. Um, and I just want to take a quick moment to announce a couple of other events. Thank you. Um, the women's retreat that opens on the 2nd of October, uh, Lama Sultra Melioni will be guest teaching at that event. Uh, there is still space in that retreat. She'll also be teaching the Monday night class on October 5th. And next weekend's day-long events, um, James Barrows, who runs um, a very popular, well-received class on joy and has a book coming out on that, is doing a day-long with his wife, Jane, next Saturday on Awakening Joy. And Sunday's event is Nina Wise uh, offering a class on Buddha's practice when it really matters. Uh, she teaches for people who are going through difficult periods in their lives, either physically, you know, with your own pain, or as a caregiver. And there's CE credit available for nurses, um, LCSWs and MFTs for that day as well. And the one other thing I wanted to mention to you all is October 12th and 13th, Monday and Tuesday, Sylvia Borstein um, and Donald Rothberg lead, we call them non-residential retreat days. They're just day-longs from 9 to 5, Monday and Tuesday, but they're offered in um, the same spirit and silence, more or less, as a retreat. Just periods of sitting and walking, a little bit of questions and answers, and a Dharma talk in the afternoon, but um, much less talk than you often find during day-longs. So I wanted to let you know about that. And I think that's all till the end of the day. Um, there, um, just a couple of instructions. There's three garbage cans back there for garbage at the end of lunch. There's a small silver bucket for compost, which I'm sure will fill up pretty quickly today. But that's just for food scraps. Our plates and um, flatware is all compostable, but it requires a commercial composter, which we don't have. So we buy it because it's a little less impactful, but it does have to go into the garbage. So any questions? Ria Jen, <laughs> coming back. Yeah. Um, it's about 12 now, so let's uh, aim for one and then be flexible. So we'll ring the bell around 1 o'clock to bring you all back. If Thank I could make a, a, just a, a couple of other little points. It's in terms of future events, and speaking of Sylvia Borstein, uh, on November the 1st, uh, Sylvia and I are doing a uh, benefit for our local yoga studio up in Ukiah, Yoga Mendocino. Uh, that will be occurring at the Weibel Vineyards up near Hopland. Not that far up 101, so there is no barrier across the highway. <laughs> people can venture north. We've got flyers out on the table there, and there's also flyers up on the, the wall. Um, uh, so that is uh, a day long. Also, the um, a couple of the instructors and leading teachers at Yoga Mendocino <coughs> will also be giving yoga instruction during the day, so please uh, do come along for that if you